morning again. A couple of weeks ago, um, Lisa and I had a, a fairly strange invitation. We had an invitation to go to the Stray FM business breakfast. Well, you can imagine we were a little bit confused. <laughs> we don't, we're not aware that we run a business. But anyway, um, there was breakfast at Alexander's. So we thought, let's go. So <laughs> we got up early and we, we went to this business breakfast. And it was really good. And they had a guest speaker there. And it was Ruth Whiteley. Now, you may not recognize the name, but you maybe saw her on The Apprentice a couple of years ago. Long blonde hair, northern lass. Really big smile, far too enthusiastic for a morning. Um, dressed in bright orange, it was quite impressive. She's, she was a great, powerful ambassador for business, and she spoke really well. A strange thing was afterwards, when Lisa and I went up to speak to her, because we had to get a photograph, you know, with the famous person. And uh, we were talking to her, and uh, do you know when you go to these business things, you hear about networking and stuff? We saw, demonstrated before us, the most wondrous piece of networking. So Ruth had been talking to another lady who she'd finished with, and she was talking to us. And we told her that we were, we were Baptist ministers, and we had a nice conversation. And then the lady she was talking to came over to her just to say goodbye. And Ruth, automatic pilot, went into networking mode. And she went, oh, right, um, you guys, well, you're kind of in the same line of business, aren't you? You're Baptist ministers, and you run a pet funeral parlor. Yeah, you're right, we are. Yeah. Um, I just thought, fair play to you, girl, trying to get this. These two people, it's just kind of automatic pilot. Is there something wrong with the uh, PowerPoint? It was on, then it stopped working. Okay, we'll fly with it. So, you know, she's trying to make this kind of connection. Um, the thing is, we... We're talking about the art of connection, and there would be a picture on the screen. It's all wonderful. There we go, the art of connecting. Um, it's what we're looking at. It's regarding the whole area of evangelism. Now, just a couple of points to remember. A key thing about evangelism is, first and foremost, the most important thing about evangelism is you and Jesus. Full stop. It's about having that live connection with Jesus that's alive and real. But we're talking about this idea of a three-story evangelism, three-story living. Our story, their story, and God's story. In the first week, we looked at our story, the fact that we all have a story. We all have a connection point with God's story. And it's the most important thing in evangelism to remember that and to keep it live. And so some of you will have got an email or a Facebook post about next week. We're going to be asking you to be involved. Okay, so the good news is the sermon's going to be much shorter. Thank you. <laughs> the bad news is you're going to be filling in the gaps. Not for us bad news, but no, what we want to do is to interview people and just ask people about where has your story overlapped with God's? Where does your story and another person's story overlap so that they encounter God? Just brief question and answers. You won't be standing here going for 10 minutes. You have to say something. We just want to hear your stories. We want to hear and grind this. So please get in touch with us. It's not just going to be a wandering mic. We want to actually ask people some questions. So our story is what we looked at. Their story is what Lisa looked at last week about connecting with other people. 
The fact that our stories overlap, the power of love, the power of serving, the power of listening, that interested is interesting and about authentic and vulnerable relationships. And so we come to the third circle, God's story and how these three interact. We're looking at God's story today. Now, first of all, I've got a little activity for you. Okay, enthusiasm. (laughs) Here we go. You've got to turn to a person either beside you or behind you. Don't just meditate upon it. Um, And you've got to ask this, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? So turn to a person next to you and answer that question. You have approximately 1 minute 37.6 seconds to do it. seminar, you'd be doing this for about 10 minutes or so. I realize that it's just to provoke and prompt to start with. What is the gospel? I had a a message last night, uh, a prayer chain saying from someone called Daniel Strickland. He said, please pray for me as I give, um, I present the gospel to a room full of teenagers. So is she just going to present the gospel? If she is, what gospel is she going to present? Um, There are lots of different models that we recognize. And here's, here's the first one, the bridge model. Do you recognize the bridge model? It's the fact that sin has separated us from God. We can't get across on our own steam. So Jesus comes and bridges the gap. And through faith, believing in God, believing in Jesus, we go across the bridge. It's the bridge model. Then we have something we've used before um, for outreach, and we plan to use it again. It's called the four points or the four spiritual laws. Um, the first one is God loves me. The second is I have sinned. The next one is Jesus died for me. And then the fourth one, I have a choice to make. 
classic one really useful. Or perhaps it's the two ways to live. What we believe is that God is the ruler. We've rebelled and tried to become ruler, but the consequence of that is death. Jesus came, became the ruler of the world, suffered death, but got beyond that, and so he conquers death. He is the Lord, and we can reign with him. Two ways to live. Or there's the gospel necklace, gospel bracelet, gospel colors. The different colors represent different aspects of the gospel. We used to do this, um, one of the first things we ever did in our youth when I took on the job as youth minister was the gospel necklace, the gospel colors. Really useful. Or maybe it's the exam illustration that, you know, God has an exam. It's, his past mark is 100%. All of us fail, whether it's 99% or 9%, but Jesus passed the pass mark and therefore we can access. Or the one that absolutely knocks all the others out of the park, the Evangi Cube. I've got one of these in my office. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> but but and you flick it in some way, and all these different pictures, you know the kind of cubes, that it, but the Evangi cube. Um, I don't carry one around with me. Maybe you do. Okay. Uh, but these are different ways to explain the gospel. Are any of them the gospel? They capture something of it. They are memory aids. I remember trying to share the gospel with people when I was younger and going, right, I've got to get this right. So what's first point? Points to And then second point, oh, if I don't get this in the right order, they're going to be damned forever. <laughs> it's not a formula. These are prompts to remember the story. Because what is God's story? Well, God's story is simply what's revealed to us in the Bible. So the next time that you're over coffee or something like that, and someone says, Listen, can you tell me, you know, what, what, what is this gospel? Get out your Bible app. Turn to Genesis chapter 1 and say, grab another coffee. In the beginning, it should only take you, I don't know, a week, maybe longer. Well, maybe you could do what the Reduced Shakespeare Company did, which is to do a play based on the Bible called The Bible, The Complete Word of God, Abridged. Okay. Slightly comedic version, but it still was an hour and a half. So how do we get this God story across? Well, maybe some of you remember this movie. Max von Sydow playing Jesus in the greatest story ever told. It's well known for the fact that John Wayne was a centurion at the cross saying, Surely he was the Son of God. <laughs> the greatest story ever told. That is God's story. I have a theory. Now run with me in this because I think, I think it's true, and so don't argue. Um, it is the only story that ever has been, that ever will be, from people sitting around a campfire many, many hundreds of thousands of years ago talking through a story to the latest Hollywood epic. There's an essence of a story which is this. It has a start, a beginning where everything's okay. There's a problem which happens, a difficulty, a, a, an enemy, a significant hurdle to overcome. There's a hero who comes and, and saves the day, often through struggle, through strife, and through sacrifice. And then the last part is what we know as the happy ending or the happy ever after. I wonder whether buried deep in the spiritual DNA of all of humanity is God's story. The story of God creating the start. The fact that sin came, the hurdle, the enemy. That Jesus, the hero, comes and saves the day. And ultimately we have or can have a happy ever after. Let's go through this. 
Because Jesus' story is one of connection. The story of God is a story of reconnection. Genesis chapter 1 says that God created everything. And humanity and God were in close relationship. Humanity were in relationship with each other. They walked around naked. That's not to kind of give people who are doing a movie worry about you know, editing and stuff. It's because there was nothing, no barriers between humanity. And we lived in communion with creation. We were stewards of it. But then in Genesis 3, things go to pot. We call it sin, like there's kind of the boogeyman or a dark cloud. Sin is disconnection. Disconnecting with God. And because we disconnected with God through disobedience, we disconnected with each other. It says the man and the woman were in enmity with each other. Strife came. And then it says it became hard to work the soil. It became hard to reproduce. We'd lived at odds with creation because disconnection was almost contagious. Throughout the Old Testament, we have God trying to help people to reconnect. But the best they could do was a loose connection that would falter and fail and never really work. Until we come to the New Testament and we have the person who reconnects God and humanity perfectly. Jesus reconnects us. And then he says to his followers, go and make disciples. That's church speak. What does he mean? Go and reconnect people with me. Go and reconnect people with me. And if you reconnect people with me, that will reconnect people with each other. And that will reconnect people with creation. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 18, we're, we're told that we have the ministry of reconciliation, a very fancy word. What's that another word for? We have been given the ministry of reconnection. And so this is the happy ending. That humanity and God can have that connection restored. And because of that, we can have connectedness between one another and we can be connected to our, the creation and what is this ultimately? Well, we did a whole series on it called Revelation. This is heaven. Forget clouds and angels with harps. Heaven is eternal connectedness with God. And it doesn't start post-death. It starts now. You're connected now. You'll be connected beyond death because death cannot sever the connection. That's what Jesus was about. Why? Well, if you're really stuck... The gospel in a nutshell is this. For God loved his creation so much that he gave his one and only son that was also him in the Trinity, which is a metaphysical impossibility, but you know, we work with it because it's faith. He gave his one and only son because something had to happen to sort things out. That whoever believes in him, whoever connects through him, shall not be disconnected, but will be eternally connected to him. That is the story. That is the gospel in a nutshell. But these are all paraphrases, models, pictures, simple explanations, which cannot fully describe or do justice or unpack the beauty, the earth-shattering, sensitifying, imagination-blowing truth and reality and wonder of the good story of God. I can't grasp it in its all, all its fullness. Thankfully, we don't need to. We don't need to. You've heard me say this before. I love saying it. Karl Barth, massive theological brain, was once asked, what's the most profound thing you've ever learned in all your, your theological long words? And he simply said, it's easy. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
You don't need to understand all the highfalutin terms. What has Jesus called us to? He's called us to be witnesses. Witnesses in Matthew 28. Witnesses to what? His witnesses. Witnesses to him. Now remember we talked about this on the first week. Testimony of a witness is a person's own experience. If you talk about someone else's, it's hearsay and not admissible. Ah, yeah, I talked to someone and they said the burglar came in through the window. Not acceptable. I saw the burglar come through the window. Acceptable. Or you go with someone and say, listen, let's get our story straight. I'll say this, you say that. Ah, this is what happened. That's called collusion. And I wonder whether we've colluded the gospel sometimes to go, if anyone asks us, this is the story we're going to give. And sometimes it's cold and it's dry because it's not our testimony. We talked about that the first week. Each of us have got different ways that we have connected with God's story. Enough of me. Over to you again. You've got to, um, I'll give you two minutes for this one. What part of God's story did you connect with first? Okay. What part of God's story did you connect with first? I'll, I'll tell you a very brief example. For me, the very first part, it's not, it's not particularly beautiful. I was scared of hell. I didn't want to go to hell. It sounded horrid. So I wanted to know how not to go there. I was scared of death. And that, led, that was my first connection point. Maybe for another person is they had a filthy life of sin and they needed forgiveness. I don't know what your connection point is, but the person beside you is going to find out. Two minutes. Thank you. <laughs>
Okay, if you want to start wrapping that back up again. As I said, these, these are provoking. So after, after the service, when you're having coffee and you're not knowing what to talk about and you've already said that the weather's lovely, um, say, what was Phil on asking us those questions? You know, bizarre. What was your answer? Okay, continue the conversations. Okay, continue the conversations. Because we've all got different ways of connecting. Perhaps there were some of these answers. Because we're desperate for forgiveness of sin. Perhaps it was the fear of death or the fear of hell or the hope of heaven that there's something more, the fear of the unknown, that there's more to life than this there must be to make some meaning of it. A search for inner peace in the midst of turmoil, a a desperate plea for acceptance, a need for unconditional love, the sacrifice of Jesus, perhaps that was impressive, the need of a father, wanting a community and a family to belong to. Maybe the church was impressive or one particular Christian you saw had a life, you said, I want some of that. I don't know what your connection was. Who, who was fear of death? Who was, who was wanting to go to heaven? Who was because they needed Jesus' forgiveness? Who was it because they wanted a family to belong to? Who wanted unconditional love? Who said that the first connection point was seeing someone and go, I want a bit of what they've got? Fantastic. This is just an example of the fact we've all got different connection points. We all do. And maybe we have this idea that everybody connects with God the same way we did, but they don't. And so we say, you know, it's the old joke in Northern Ireland, the Paisley approach, turn or burn! And that should work, because that's how some people came to know Jesus. Well, no, it'll push people away sometimes. What's the people's connection points? But Jesus connected in lots of different ways with different people. People connected with him. The rich young ruler, it was a question about lifestyle and priorities. For the woman who was caught in adultery, she had no condemnation over her from Jesus, but the challenge to live differently. What about the woman at the well? Her identity was wrapped up in five men that she was married to at different stages in her life. And Jesus said, there's more to life than that. More than water, I'm the reason for it, seeing what her real need was. Nicodemus, the connection point was a wrestling, a theological and intellectual wrestling with what it meant to be born again. And the Syrophoenician woman who said, as a Gentile, Jesus, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus said, strangely, why would I give bread to dogs? And her answer was, well, even dogs need to eat. That was banter. They connected through banter. There was a connection point and they were all different. Because Jesus doesn't come to meet needs. That's what religion does. That's what alternative therapies do in the new age. Jesus isn't a life enhancer. Jesus is a life giver. He didn't come to meet needs. He didn't come to meet people either. He came to meet persons. Individuals, not just crowds. And individually knowing where he needed to connect with people. No matter which way we've connected with Jesus, whatever our doorway was, one thing is absolutely certain. Regardless of our pathway, all must end up at the cross of Jesus Christ. It must end up at the cross of Jesus Christ because that is where the fundamental need of all humanity is addressed. Whether you are a rich person without a need in the world or a person who's aware of their poverty, whether it's spiritual or physical, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So all of us need to meet Jesus at the cross regardless of where our opening door was. 
Without Jesus, without the cross, it's not reality. The cross is at the core, the heart, the epicenter of God's story. In fact, Jesus is God's story. Alfred Hitchcock often spoke about um, the MacGuffin of his stories. as like the, not just the plot twist, it was more than that. What was, what was the MacGuffin? Well, Jesus is the story and the cross is the MacGuffin. It is the crux point of the whole thing. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, we have a pseudo-Christianity. Without forgiveness, without reality, without the power to transform, redeem, or reconnect. It is a vanilla spirituality that is nice, easy, affirming, popular, and comfortable. But no cross. Do you know, um, we could go over lots of different reasons why the gospel's really hard to share. I've worked out the reason it's difficult to share the gospel. Do you want to know it? One person wants to know it. Do you want to know what is the thing that really lets the gospel down? Jesus. Without Jesus, it would be easy. Honestly, wouldn't it? Because let's face it, you can talk about church. That just means you belong to a nice little club. You can even talk about the Bible, but as long as it's kept at funerals. You can even talk about prayer, because you know prayer, thoughts and prayers with a tragedy that's happened, everyone thoughts and prayers are with, and then they move on to the next Facebook feed or the next news story. Or, oh, they're very spiritual. That's really nice. You mention the name Jesus, and the atmosphere changes. Everything else can be a little bit woolly and make of it what you will, but Jesus comes along and says, this is what God looks like, and people go, I'm not terribly comfortable with that. There's less room for maneuver. 1 Peter 2 and 8, and it quotes from Isaiah, the Bible says, Jesus is a stone that makes people stumble and a rock that makes them fall. A Greek word associated with that is Jesus was a scandal on. He was an offense to people and still is an offense to people. Think about the next time someone or the last time someone asked you anything about church or your faith. Did you use the word God or church or did you use the word Jesus? We feel more comfortable being generic. Why? Why is it difficult? Because there truly is power in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not a magical woo-doo-woo-doo power. There is a power that you cannot get past in Jesus Christ because Jesus is God's story. We've gone from the the big stories, the models, the pictures, down to different ways of explaining it, down to one verse, God so loved the world. Let's just get it down to really fundamentals. God's story is Jesus. That's why we did a series called Do You Know Him? It's why we did a series called Do You Know Him? It's why in February and March of 2018... This town, well, every church in the center of this town is going to be following in February and March the series, Do You Know Him? Every church. That's remarkable in itself, I think, that God's behind this. But that's not enough. We're going to be praying together as different churches. We're going to be working together. We're going to be out on the streets telling people the good God story. Not bashing them overhead, preaching on a street corner, but connecting with people. I'm giving you that warning because we are going to be doing it because Jesus has asked us to. And the time will not be the same. People's lives will be transformed, not because we've got them into church, but because they have connected with Jesus. 
In fact, not many people know about this, but there's a meeting on the 6th of December, Tuesday the 6th of December at Christ Church. Um, it hasn't gone majorly public yet, but you're getting a behind the scenes, okay? Be there. Is it the 5th? It's the 5th. You'll find out the proper date. You're right. It was the 6th. We moved it. It's the 5th. At Christ Church, be there, because that's when we're going to find out about what we're going to be up to. It's really exciting. People are inspired to go and share the story of God. Please get on board with it. It's exciting stuff. It's why we do evangelism, because we've been following this series about the art of connecting, and in some senses, it's been focusing on long-term friendships. But actually, the momentary connections can transform. That's what Jesus' style was as well. Not bashing someone over the head. We'll get to that in a second. (laughs) But connecting. Any outreach we do from this church or from this Do You Know Him project will be about connection, connecting people. It's about doing our bit. The first single I ever bought was Never Ending Story by a pop star called Lamal, who had the worst mullet ever. Okay? That's my petty um, confession. Never Ending Story is a story about a boy called Bastian Balthazar Bucks, whose parents clearly didn't like him. And uh, it's about, he, he steals this book, this big old book, and he starts reading it. It's called The Never Ending Story. And he starts reading it and reading it. And uh, as the story progresses, as the movie or the book progresses, he starts to realize that the story is actually about him. And he becomes part of this story. Let me tell you something. You are part of the real never ending story. You, believe it or not, are in Scripture. You're not in the Old Testament. I know some of you aren't that old. You're not even in the Jesus bit. But the bit between Jesus and Revelation, da-da, you're there. We're part of God's story. We have a part to play. Do you want to know something truly amazing? Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us has eternal significance eternal significance. Forget about low self-esteem for just a second. Every one of us has got eternal significance. Why? Because we have the capacity to connect someone with God to the point that they have an eternity with Jesus. You have eternal potential. You have eternal significance. You have a part to play. Now that brings a bit of pressure, a bit like, you know, Um, on The Apprentice where you've got to seal the deal quick. Someone's coming in, they've asked me about Jesus, I better get it all right and then get them to confess on their knees and get baptized before lunch is over. We have a part to play. Andy read um, this passage and the bit I want to focus on is this verse 6. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Different people are in different stages. In fact, um, Finney once said that a person probably hears the gospel seven times before they make a response. I think that's probably pretty true. Maybe, maybe more, maybe less. But at some point, someone has prepared the soil. Someone has planted the first seed. Someone has weeded. Someone has watered. Someone has been the sunshine, has been Jesus' presence in a really dark time. Someone has been the stake that has supported that plant. Someone has harvested and brought them into a place of fruitfulness. Notice if you harvest too soon, the plant dies. That's a warning to us to not try and seal the deal too quickly. 
I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But it's God who makes it grow. We've been called to be witnesses, storytellers, not converters. It's not our job to save anyone, but to tell them how to be saved. That's our job. Tell them that we know the one who can save them if they want to know him too. Because the thing is, the Holy Spirit is involved. Maybe you've heard the stories about you know, people who say, I became a Christian because, and this is kind of an extreme version, on one day, I saw John 3.16 17 times. Someone came up to me and said, do you know John 3.16? My best friend said, I've heard this phrase, John 3.16. And then ultimately, I just felt God was chasing me. That's a truncated version. God was on my case, or I was at a meeting, and I felt the speaker was speaking directly at me. That's nothing to do with the people who said John 3.16, or the person who was speaking at the front. It's the Holy Spirit who's been working away. You don't know what the Holy Spirit has done to your work colleagues already, and that your next bit is to add a bit of water, add a bit of feed, or plant the seed, or get rid of the stones so that they're ready. The Holy Spirit is involved. When the astronauts went to the moon, there's a story that many of them became Christians because when they got out, they went, someone's been here before. The Holy Spirit goes before us and is preparing the ground. So just briefly, how do we go about this sharing of God's story? If we're not meant to go, right, sit down, here are the four points, da-da-da. Or give me a gospel necklace and I'll tell you. They're useful. How can we tell God's story? Let's look at 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. This is one of the key verses in my heart. It's the one that formulated... um, my feelings around Accelerate when we first started our youth group, and I I think it still underpins a lot of things. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. Set apart Jesus as Lord. This world has many, many lords. There are many, many lords in our lives. It could be work, it could be money, it could be image told, set apart Jesus as Lord, because that means you have a surrendered life. And a surrendered life makes a statement in this world. It makes an impact. We were talking about this um, the other night, and uh, which doesn't mind me mentioning it, but we were talking, and Kathy Longman said that um, in her staff room, her colleagues don't understand why on a Friday night she goes to a church youth club. It, it doesn't make sense. Why would you want to do that? What, what, are you, what are you on? Why do you do that? Cap, why are you getting alongside me? Why are you helping me? Why are you giving me a food parcel? Why are you holding my hand whenever, whenever nobody else does? Why are you not pummeling me for payments? Why are you loving me? Why? It doesn't make sense. We did a thing called Festival Manchester a number of years ago, funnily enough, in Manchester. And... Um, we were doing, the youth teams were going out and doing social action projects, clearing up pathways, litter picking and all that. And I remember the pathway we were doing, people would come across, members of the public, walking their dogs, and they'd go, what are you doing? We're cleaning your path. Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? You might be challenged to ask these kind of questions. And we're not going to have time to, to do this right now, but I want you to think about this. Why do you do what you do? in regards to church, with regards to your faith. Why do you come to church? 
Why do you pray? Why do you read Scripture? Why do you worship? Why do you listen to worship music? Why do you want to tell people about Jesus? Why do you put up with some of those people in your fellowship? Why? Because if you can't answer that with the people in your own fellowship who are trying to answer the same question, how are you going to answer it when someone who says, God, yeah, whatever, why do you do that? Why do you do what you do? Have a think about it. How many have been asked that and your answer is not mentioned Jesus? How about just saying, well, I do it because you know, Jesus has done an awful lot for me, so I want to do something for him. And leave it at that. Is it that difficult to say those words? Because of what Jesus has done in my life? There's no preaching. There's no Bible bashing. There's no ramming. All it is is answering a question. And that's it. This is me. Take it or leave it. Be prepared to give an answer. Answer the question. Then leave it. Leave a gospel stone in the shoe. Carl Beach, the president of Christian Vision for Men, tells a story um, of one time how um, he was involved in a, in, a, in a car crash, a car um, accident. And uh, the person who was involved in it, the other person, was trying to really take, take them for a ride. He tried to claim for more than he should have done. So I don't know what the figures were, but say it was 100 pounds of damage. He was saying, Carl, you need to pay me 1,000 pounds of damage. What Carl really wanted to give this person was a punch in the face. Um, but living a different way, he went up to him, knocked on the guy's door and gave him a check. Say, for example, I don't know what it was, for 2,000 pounds. And the guy stood there and went, but, but I asked you for 1,000. He said, yeah, here's 2,000. I said, why, why would you do that? And he went, you know, the thing is, Jesus has done so much for me. and I wanted to not be taken, I wanted to bless you. So, um, cheerio. Knowing that that guy is going to stand there going, what? And he will walk around with a gospel stone in his shoe going, that guy, what? Leave gospel stones in people's shoes. Leave gospel stones in their shoes. Why? Because it living differently provokes. Okay. Do you ever have an opportunity to tell someone why you do what you do? Do you ever have the opportunity to explain to someone that you do what you do because you love Jesus? I'm going to stick my neck out and say perhaps the reason you haven't had those opportunities is because your life isn't different enough to be noticeable. When we live an evidentially surrendered life to Christ and we tell people why, it provokes, it prompts, it gets people confused, it gets people uncomfortable, maybe even annoyed, maybe challenged, but it certainly gets them intrigued. A surrendered life, one with purpose, with meaning, with hope, with authenticity, an authentic community, an unrelated group of people that are a family, a life with perspective, with values, with the importance of people, with love, true love, joy in the midst of darkness, a surrendered life with forgiveness, with grace, with a God-given inherent value of humanity. What is not attractive about a life like that?
we are called to share God's story. To leave that stone in their shoe. And with this thing, I just want to finish. From the world of comedy and entertainment, there's one piece of of evangelistic advice that I want to follow and I want to pass on to you as well. Is this. Always leave them wanting more. It's not your job necessarily to seal the deal unless the Spirit prompts you and they want to. Always leave them wanting more. But you've got to give them something that makes them intrigued, that makes them want more. Share your bit of your God's story in little drips. Answer their questions, but just their questions. Always leave them wanting more. Because in the words of Jimmy Cricket, there's more. Let's pray together.